So for those who just came here, Trouty has another commentary on the koan we did last week, and she thought that we didn't get to the bottom of it and that we ought to do this koan again. So we took a vote and we decided to do it again. Is that all right with you, Stephanie? Donna? Okay. Since you all agree, I'll unmute everyone. The commentary, the book. <laughs> she has a different cover. Um, did, did you get my file? I have it ready to go, yes. Yes. So can we share it? Yes. So I, I don't want to take up too much time. I think maybe the first page and last page will, oh, okay. will, will do us. It's only four pages as it is, but. Okay. So should we just read through this and not do our regular sequence? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, so uh, yeah, who would like to start? Well, Allison is first. We go alphabetical, Allison. Okay. Unless you want to change your name. <laughs> My first time. That's all right. So should I just read uh, the case? Should I just read the case? The, the case, yes. Okay. Among ones asked, Indians um, states the whole vast universe. Before he could finish the first line, Unman suddenly interrupted. Aren't those the words of Tuetsu? Shusai? Yes, they are. Afterwards, Zen master Shishin brought up the matter and said, tell me, at what point did he slip? Okay, so where are the numbers, I mean, the names? <laughs> I think I'm next. Okay. Donna? Or, yeah, I think Donna will go, no? No, you, Cody, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Muman's, Muman's commentary. If, as regards this case, you have grasped Uman's lofty and unapproachable activity and how the monk slipped up in his words, you are worthy to become a teacher of men and heavenly beings. If you are not yet clear about it, you have not even saved yourself. Okay, then Donna. The verse. Angling in a swift stream, those greedy for bait will be caught. If you open your mouth even a bit, your life will be lost. Is anybody, yeah, well, maybe uh, you are interested in what follows this. I don't, I don't know. I mean, altogether, it's four pages. And to me, I read through it, but to me, the first page and the last uh, page um actually cleared it up for me some okay so but we, we can read this i mean it's not very very much okay now next is gail unless trouty wanted to go next <laughs> oh right <laughs> trouty you're next well uh, okay they show on the case there are three names in this koan master unmon Shosetsu Sushai, 
Shu Sai and Master Shishin. Uh, you have met Unmon before in cases 15, 16, and 21. You want to read about his life again. I have to move the page because the names are covering it up. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. If you want to read about his life again, please refer to case 15. Shishin Goshin, a Zen master of the Oryu branch of Rinzai, is the Dharma successor of Master Soshin. It was while he was under Soshin's guidance that he attained great enlightenment upon hearing the sound of the Kyosaku. He named himself Shishin, which means dead mind. Now, a word about Chosetsu, Shusei, the author of the verse the monk began to quote. His family name is Cho. Setsu is his first name and literally means unskillful. Shusai means an able student or bright boy, but in ancient China, it had a different meaning. It meant the man who has passed the government's examination for screening applicants to high official positions. In the beginning, Chosetsu went to Master Zen Getsu for guidance in Zen, but was later persuaded by his teacher to go to Master Sakiso. He did this and was asked by his new teacher to give his name. Chosetsu told him, my family name is Cho and my given name is Setsu. Remember that setsu means unskillful. Sikezo said to him, though you may try to discover the substance of skillfulness, it can never be found. You say your name is setsu, but where is unskillfulness? What case is, what Sekiso meant was, where is setsu? Where is your substance? with your essential nature. Mm. At this, Chosetsu was certainly enlightened. For the first time, he realized a world, a world where there is neither skillfulness nor unskillfulness. Setsu is nowhere. His whole substance is void. He expressed his enlightenment in the following words. Nancy, do you want to read that? Oh, okay. The radiance serenely illuminates the whole vast universe. Suns, common mortals, and other living creatures on dual in one house. When no thought arises, total oneness is completely manifested. If the six organs move even a little, it is covered with clouds. If you want to cut off the loosey passions and thoughts, the sickness increases on the more. If you want to go towards absolute reality, this too is wrong. In following the relations of the world, there is no hindrance. Both nirvana and life and death are no more than empty flowers. Mm. Mm, just... <laughs> I can't quite read. That. I know. 
I'm sorry for that. That's all right. I, I can read it. Okay. Oh, that'd be great. Yes, please. To return to the koan, a monk wanted to ask Unmon a question by quoting from this verse. Before he could finish, the first time Unmon suddenly interrupted and said, aren't those the words of Shosetsu Shusai? The monk said, yes, they are. Unmon said, you have slipped up in the words. <coughs> not, not eligible? Okay. Later, Master Shishin took up this case and asked the assembly of his disciples, tell me, at what point did he slip up in the words? You must give me the answer in the Dokusan room. I'll give you a bit of a hint. This monk was asking for light when he was already in the light. It is just like a man hunting for his house when he's already in it or like the man who is living in his own house and not knowing it, pays the rent. Still, yeah, okay. Yeah. When he quoted from Chosetsu verse, the radiance serenely illuminates the whole vast universe, the monk was thinking of these words as Chosetsu's poem. He was, so to speak, looking for the radiance outside of himself. Without a moment, moment's delay, Unman gave a thrust saying, aren't those the words of Chosetsu Shusai? Which means, isn't that a borrowed feather? The stupid monk answered yes. Unman could only reply, you have slipped up in the words. We must all see our own radiance within ourselves. The flower, the grass, the wall, the pillar, they are the radiance of the eye. The ticking of the clock, the barking of the dog, the shaking of a cough, these are the radiance of the ear. It's cold, it's hot, ouch, it's itchy. These are the radiance of the body to be glad, sad, full of love, or full of hate. All these are the radiance of the mind. Every radiance is nothing other than the radiance of our true self. How will you answer when you realize Unman's question? It's still not legible, okay. On Muman's question, uh, commentary, if, as regards this case, you have grasped Ullman's lofty and unapproachable activity, how the monk slipped up in his words, you are worthy to become a teacher of men and heavenly beings. If you are not yet clear about it, you have not even saved yourself. Ullman's way of guiding his disciples is lofty and unapproachable. He interrupted the monk's words before he could finish quoting the first line. I hope you will be able to appreciate the extremely high standard and inimitable skill of Unman's way of teaching. His examination is very 
sharp and as quick as a flash of lightning. No one, not even Buddhas and patriarchs, can approach him. Okay. On the verse. Let me make it bigger. Angling in a swift stream, those greedy for bait will be caught. If you, whoops. I didn't want to be that big. <laughs> Angling in a swift stream, those greedy for bait will be caught. If you open your mouth even a bit, your life will be lost. Angling in a stream refers to Uman's abrupt interruption. The monk was caught when he replied, yes. He is still not enlightened and, in searching, and is searching for the radiance outside of himself. This is being greedy for bait. If you open your mouth even a bit, your life will be lost. Means that as long as you have any concepts about radiance and try to explain it intellectually, your essential life will be lost. The only way to avoid being caught by the angler in the swift stream is to attain enlightenment. Have you, uh, Allison, have you dealt with koans before? Uh, no, this is my first time. Okay, so this is a good, this last paragraph is a good uh, description of what goes on. Um, trying to get, they always catch us in our intellectual mind and we have to move past that. <coughs> uh, so being caught by the angler in the swift stream is being caught with the discursive mind. To me, you guys agree? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Okay, do you want to say more, Trouty? Yeah, I, I was really riled by the verse as uh, Guo Gu presented, and I did not know why was I riled about it or with it. And uh, so I reread it, and then I looked at Yamada's uh, translation. And at first, I just read through the first page and uh, but further, and it was in great detail, and it was, I mean, yeah, it was uh, almost simplistic, but as I went along and reread the, the verse again at the end, and his comment, I, I wasn't any longer upset about the, I do not know what it was, maybe, maybe I suspected that who may have actually added some words, and I think that probably was the fish. I, I, I'm not sure. I, and of course, it's not necessary, or at least for me, it's not necessary that I'm going to uh, dig for it, whether it was this or that that, that riled me. But was, um, was it a difference in the commentary or a difference in the translation? Well, in all. In all, but I think it was primarily at first the translation because you you can read it immediately in in a koan sense. So I'm going to go to it since we're going to that next.
Someone want to read this? Uh, just the koan. Okay. Who's next? I guess Allison. We're back to you. Oh, you're okay. not seeing it? No. Not I, sure. I mean, I can see if you scroll it down just a little more. Oops. Or if I just go back to the top, I guess. I think the first two lines are on the first page. There okay. we go. A monk asked, asked Yunmen. Okay. A monk asked Yunmen about the poem. The brilliant and quiescent luminosity pervades everywhere, like sand in the Ganges. Before his sentence was finished, Yunmen interrupted, are these not the words of the scholar Zhang Zhu? The monk replied, yes. Yunmen said, failed. Later, Sixteen picked this case up. How did the monk's words fail? Okay, anything else? Crowdy? Yeah, well, we, um, I can, uh, or if anybody else would like to read uh, then woman's comment and actually the verse itself. So oh, okay. Try, or does anybody sure. want? Who would like to read this next? So um, Cody is next. Can you see Cody? If in this case. Woman's comment. If in this case, you can perceive the workings of Yunman singling out and placing the monk in peril and understand why the monk's words have failed, then you are fit to be a teacher of humans and gods. If you are not clear about this, then you cannot even save yourself. Dropping a fish hook into a gushing stream, the greedy fish gets caught. As soon as it opens his mouth, life is lost. Okay, Trouty, or do you want to say anything more? Well, I just uh, would like to make uh, one small comment. Maybe it is the, the second line in, in uh, uh, Goose, uh, the greedy fish gets caught. Whereas um, in Yamada's, let me see. Yamada's, it is angling on in a swift stream. Those greedy for bait will be caught. If you open your mouth even a bit, your life will be lost. Mm. Greedy for bait makes a difference, Trouty, I think. Like those of us who want to cling to something to be better practitioners, better bodhisattvas, more enlightened. 
whether it's teachings or words or poems that are beautifully written, but really don't capture the reality of reality. I, I wonder now, that, and maybe I'm just playing devil's advocate here, so forgive me. Oh, please do. <laughs> when, when you made that, when you said those words, the reality of reality, that maybe that is why um, these koans that seem so foreign to us do make a difference because they do force us to look at what we view as reality mm-hmm. in a different way. And we want to cling to reality as we know it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, thank you. Well, thank put you. Part, part of the clinging to me is, is uh, thinking we have answers to explain it. Right. And uh, today Peg gave us uh, an exercise. Some of you were in our, was anyone there in our class today? Oh, Okay. So in the exercise, we had to pick like a difficult challenge we were having in our life and then the cause or condition for that challenge. And like what what caused that thing to come about? And I just found after I made my whole list that that I really didn't know why this thing came about. But mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of greedy in the sense that I had these answers or like if you, you know, you lose a friend or or whatever you Right away, you have an explanation, but you really don't know, do you? So I, you know, that's that's kind of the greedy thing to me, is latching onto these answers. Well, I'd lo- I'd like to share something that came up for me in this moment as we're talking, and it is this tr- this tremendous tenderness for all of us, because we so want to know, and we so want to be there, and we so want to get it right. And I just see us as all these beautiful, like children, you know, just wanting to do it right, to do it right. And, and, and not, not really knowing where to go with what we have, our treasures, when, when we really don't really have treasures in our hands, we have treasures in ourselves. And so anyway, I just had great tenderness for all of us. That's all. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, I, um, of course, I wasn't here last week, so I wasn't aware of, um, you know, uh, you're having read this before and what was said, but um, I was kind of struck by the idea, and Kim was kind of talking about it too, but it, it's, 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 it's that we want to know so much, but we're looking outside ourselves. For this knowledge mm-hmm. we're quoting other people we're trying to ride on the coattails of somebody else's understanding mm-hmm. and that'll never happen it'll never happen that way and um you're right it's very poignant you know because we don't think we don't think that our that our own inner being <laughs> is actually right here right now and, and that we have access to to it within ourselves we keep looking for it outside and um yeah and it is it's a very poignant thing um you know you have this yearning and i had a teacher that was saying 
that when this longing or yearning to wake up comes, he says what, what the movement is, is we want to look out, like where is it? And yet it's like, um, it's like a voice. If somebody calls your name, you turn toward the call. You don't look in the other direction. So the yearning is coming from me. The longing is coming from me. But instead of looking at the voice that's calling right here, me, I'm looking out mm -hmm. on the outside, you know, <laughs> as if the voice is coming from out there somehow. You're yeah. looking at the fish hook? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for bait. I'm looking for bait, you know. Uh, I think that's going to help. So it, it's, it's very interesting, but I like the, the visual that this teacher talked about. How, like if I call, if somebody calls my name, I look, I look at where the call is coming from. You know, if you're across the room and you call my name, I look across, I look at you, you know, but this longing is actually coming from within us and we're not looking for where the call is coming from. So it's, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not explaining it well, but. No, beautifully, beautifully explained and transformative. Thank you, Gail. Very well put. Thank you. And this may help actually also uh, maybe this the last uh, paragraph or last two paragraphs uh, in Yamada. I mean, it, it does not uh, talk about um, the distinction of outside or, or inside. Um, he has a different distinction, but yeah, well, actually he, he does radiance outside of himself. That's right, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yes, well, I'm, I'm glad we could uh, spend a little while uh, with it. Um, so it is probably uh, much better worked over, <laughs> maybe clearer, maybe not. But maybe something that uh, I, I like to remember things like that and maybe go back and try to use it in my practice, especially the, the discussion, uh, you know, because you have different voices, different ways of uh, expressing uh, what, what you uh, want to say. So thank you, yes. And I hope it wasn't too long that we took away from the next koan. The next koan is fairly short, so hopefully. Oh, <laughs> This is it, right? Kicking over the water jar. Can you see it? Say again, please. I cannot hear you. Your voice is very low. Yes, Kim, I can see it. Um, kicking over the water jar. Page oh, 40. I see. I see. Yeah, but I couldn't. Yeah, but I could not hear Kim. I don't know why. Can I others hear me? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now you lit up. Oh, good. Illuminated. <laughs> <laughs> you can see right here. Okay, who who's last read? I guess I'm I'm the next one up. Okay. Case forty, kicking over the water jar. When Venerable Wei Shan was still in Baijan's congregation, he served as a cook. 
Baijong wanted to choose a successor for Mount Dawei. He invited the head monk to announce to the assembly that anyone who could go beyond the patterns of the world could go on to be the Chan master at Mount Dawei. Baijong, in front of everyone, took out a water jar, set it on the ground and asked, if you don't call it a water jar, what would you call it? The head monk was the first to stand up and said, you cannot call it a tree stump. <laughs> Baijong turned to Weishan. Weishan just kicked it over, kicked over the water jar and left. Baijong laughed and said, the head monk just lost the mountain. Then he dispatched Weishan to open a monastery at Dawei. Oh, that's me. That's right. <laughs> Woman's comment. Beishan was brave on this occasion, but even he could not jump out of Baijang's trap. Just examine the outcome. He picks up a difficult task and gives up the easy. Why? He managed to take off his cloth headband and to put it on iron hung. don't know, of, of his shoulders. See what that is, just a second. Hmm. Nope, no dictionary, no, no definition, okay. It might be a foreign word. A great gust of wind scatters the water scoops and ladles. A sudden thrust severs complications and circularities. Even Baijang's multi-barrier gate cannot hold him back. The tip of his foot creates countless Buddhas. Um, a Kong is a device that was used for public humiliation and corporal punishment in East Asia. Think about those, those shackles that they, you know, they had a board and they would tie your hands and your neck together. Used in the years, the early years of the 20th century. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Was that in China? Yeah. It said in Asia. So I can imagine. Yeah, I saw it in um, ancient Asia a lot. But, yeah. Okay, who's next? Um, that would be me. Oh, so we're going on to women's comment? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, we already read women's comment. <laughs> Guo Gu, yeah. Yeah, Guo Gu's comment, okay. What is genuine? What is false? Will the real practitioner please stand up? I have already introduced Bai Zhang's Huai Hai Huai Hai in case two. He was one of the greatest Chan masters in history. Naturally, he had many patrons, including one who donated a large piece of land on a mountain site called Da Wei. Ba Zhang was probably already in his 80s when this story occurred and was too old to be working. <laughs> he decided to pick one of his disciples to go to Mount Da Wei to open a new monastery. Because of his ability to cut to the chase, Wai Shan won. But in doing so, 
He traded his kitchen tools, including his own cloth headband. Kitchen monks wear a cloth around the head to absorb sweat for an iron kangu. This means he took up the burden of saving sentient beings, which is a much more difficult task than the relatively easy job of being a cook. That's why Wu Men says he still fell into uh, Bai Zhang's trap. Uh, a kangu in pre modern China is like today's handcuffs. <coughs> that the police use to arrest people with much worse. It's usually made of two pieces of wood with three holes, one for the head and two for the hands. So basically a person in a kangoo carried around an unwieldy two inch board. Weishan's kangoo was made of iron There's basically no escaping if you're locked in, up in one of these. This means that <laughs> he gave up his duty as a cook only to put himself in a much more difficult situation, a real bodhisattva. Because of what he did, we now have the benefit of his teachings. We are grateful to him. When Wei Shan arrived at Dan Wei, there was nothing there, just a forest. The patron donated only the land, no monastery. So Weishan set up a hut and stopped practicing and stopped practicing, no longer in a monastery, but a wild forest with no water scoops, ladles, and other cooking utensils. He ate only wild berries and some vegetables he grew. He was now in a worse situation than ever before. After he spent many years of asceticism at Dengue, people found out about him as his reputation, reputation grew. Practitioners flocked to him and he was able to train them. He had nine sharp disciplines, disciples, one of whom was Yanshan Huji, the subject of case 25. Together, they were known as Wei Yan House of Chen. Like other gongons in the gateless barrier, this case highlights the extent to which we are entrenched in words and language, labels and judgments. However, it also distinguishes the actions of a genuine practitioner from those of a charlatan. Words and labels are not the problem in our life. Some practitioners read this case and think that labels are useless. You ask them a question and they demonstrate a Zen answer by doing something strange, perhaps copying Weishan's behavior by knocking something over. I once held up a cup and asked my students what it was. I asked them not to call it a cup, not to stay silent and not to touch it. The first student said a vessel. The second one said a non-cup. The third person, don't call it anything because it will change and become something else. The fourth one said, Adams. There were many answers, all of them wrong. Actually, the whole premise of my question was foolish. The same is true with Bai Zhang's question. It would be like asking, why are Martians green? 
who says Martians are green in the first place? First of all, it is assuming that there are Martians. Second, why should they be green? The premise of the question is problematic, even though most of us understand it intellectually through words and labels. When Wei Shan sees Bai Zhang doing his thing, he just kicks the water jar and leaves. I just think that's brilliant. <laughs> it is pointless to use words to label the things you experience in life. It is even worse to copy the actions of past Chan masters. The point is to take up the practice and concretely engage in practice. Are you ready to shoulder great responsibilities? Interestingly, when most people are asked to take up a great responsibility, they think only of themselves or how much of a pain in the butt the task will be, in which case they just bow out. This is self-attachment. Practitioners should emulate not why Sean's actions, but his bodhisattva heart, his willingness to endure hardship to help others. You know, I love in, uh, in Genesis that God creates things and then gives the job to man to label them. Mm -hmm. Like he, he couldn't um, be bothered with that. It's a pretty superficial job as opposed to making things. So who's reading? <coughs> Who just read? Stephanie. Yeah, I think it back to Allison. Allison, Who? I think, is next. Oh, okay. Sorry, I forgot I was muted. <laughs> was Stephanie Katie? gone? She, she went. She, oh. she read. This case does not deny this case does not deny the usefulness of the term water jar. Don't get the impression that there is no need for labels. The world would be chaotic without them. For example, if I took you can't say it doesn't matter. It's not my wallet. It's the universe's wallet. Labels are useful. They are useless only if you generate vexations around them. Most people discriminate with labels. Practitioners use Buddha Dharma to measure others' practice against their own. This is just foolish. No matter what label there is, when vexations are present, all situations become problematic. So you have to know when vexations are present or not. Labels are not intrinsically good or bad. If you are a CEO, be a good CEO. If you are a janitor, be a good janitor. If a, janitor, if a janitor wants to be a CEO, that's fine too. Have peace of mind in all of your actions in life and fulfill your vow to help others. Your vow of benefiting all beings should not change, but your goals or positions can. You may aspire to be a CEO or be happy with being a janitor. Both are fine. These are just different roles you assume to fulfill your vow. There are many, I mean, there are always sentient beings who can teach you and whom you can help. If, however, you feel miserable being a CEO or a janitor, then you need to examine this water jar. Wei Shan was a great bodhisattva. He took up the kind of work that no one else wanted to do. Kitchen work is typically very difficult, 
requires long hours of labor. As soon as one meal is prepared, the cook has to prepare for the next one. Between preparations, preparations, he has to tend to other tasks to ensure the kitchen runs smoothly. Because of his compassion, he endures hardship and peril, putting himself in a conch for sentient beings. Nothing can now hold him back or discourage him. This is why Wu Men said, says Wei Shan was brave. In the verse, woman tells us what Chan practice is about. A great gust of wind scatters the water scoops and ladles. A sudden thrust severs complications and circularities. Even Beijing's multi-barrier gate cannot hold him back. The tip of his foot creates countless Buddhas. Shall we on? Sure. Beishan exemplifies the courage of a great Chan practitioner who, for the sake of all beings, is able to endure suffering. The first line of this verse refers to Beishan's teaching as a great gust of wind that blew away Beishan's kitchen. Beishan threw away his liking for cooking for the sake of sentient beings. How many are willing to take the road less traveled? over an easy way out. When a situation calls for you to take up your responsibility for a particular task, you are able to do so. Question mark. If self-attachment is present, you will surely think of your own benefit first and hesitate. Veshan put, puts you to shame. The second line, refers to Wei Shan's swift and direct response to Bai Zhang's challenge. While the head monk's reply to Bai Zhang was still involved in words and language, he merely skirted around the term water jar and substituted another tree stump. Wei Shan just kicked over the water jar without hesitation. In the third line, Wuman uses a technical Chan term, multi-barrier gate. <coughs> this refers to Bezan's famous three barriers. The first barrier is called <coughs> the initial barrier, or Shu Guan, which is the initial breaking through awakening. In Chan, this is the experience of John Zing, Kenjo, perceiving self-nature. The second barrier is called <coughs> multi-layered barrier or Changguan. There, I'm having trouble. Um, can someone else read? Yes. This is, is oh, okay. No, you go ahead. Please. This is the stage in which one deepens one's inside by becoming awakened again and again and again until the practitioner is able to break free of samsara. The cycle of birth and death. Samsara is the third berry, the prison berry called Laowan. Once a person breaks free from samsara, he or she becomes a great bodhisattva of the highest caliber. 
the person is free not only from samsara but also from notion of nirvana. Noting by the person in his or her ability to sentient sentient beings. When the world says, even by Shan is anti barricade cannot hold him back. It means that Wei Shan has, has passed through the second barrier and is now at the third gate. Am I next? Just, or who is yeah. next? Okay. The last line is, the tip of his foot creates countless Buddhas. Woman draws an analogy between Wei Shan's kicking over the jar with his foot and his ability to help others realize Buddhahood or awakening. Isn't it true that you are still benefiting from his teaching today? Who are the Buddhas? Who is reading this book? It is not enough to understand this case only intellectually. You have to bring yourself to a point where you are free, especially in situations when someone gives you problems or causes vexations, when things don't go the way you like, when someone falsely accuses you. If you wish to use this case in daily life, you can ask the question, water jar? If I don't call it a water jar, what do I call it? The water jar symbolizes you. Who are you? Why should you be bound by this label of water jar? You must not think, ah, then I'm not a water jar. That would just be another concept. You must break through all concepts and come to know who you are. How? When someone labels you as this or that, making you feel bad, then bring up water jar. If I don't call it a water jar, what do I call it? These labels uh, really shape us, don't they? Like loser or hey, beautiful or, you know, whatever the label is. Then it's kind of limits us and gives us a view of ourselves and excludes other things. And, doesn't it? It does. It reminds me of what someone said to me recently. I had made a comment a while back and this person said, who does that? Who says that? And I sat and thought about the comment I had made. And I said, me, I do. Me. <laughs> so as if to say what I shared was, was part of me and that's how I share it. And, and that's me. And, and, and yet there was in this person's question sort of a judgment and uh, and no I wasn't a water jar at that moment <laughs> yeah but you know I think too that there's sometimes there are differences between labels and descriptors mm. you know like when you say someone is beautiful um, I think that's a label um, or talented or smart. But when you say someone is like elderly, you know, that to me, that's a descriptor. I am elderly. <laughs> that's not just a label. Can't the same word be both, be either? Depending I, I, on think, I think it can be either, but I think a lot of times um, they are two separate things. I, 
I really think that um, what this gongon is bringing up to me is to go beyond all labels and descriptors. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really the heart of it. Um, yeah. You know, water jar, if I don't call it a water jar, what do I call it? Is really just another way of saying, what am I? So we were, he wrote before, and I mentioned it in the class today, the, the idea of the experiencer and the experience. But the, the one who does the label is the experiencer. And the one who is involved in the actual event is the, so God did the experience and then man did the, was the experiencer giving the labels. I think. Yes. This yeah, I think I, I think it's getting beyond the you know experience er thing. It's almost like um, you know, if Flint and Peg keep pointing to the fact that these are processes, that you know, kind of what's happening is ing ings experience ing. You know, hurting. You know, um, you know. <laughs> thinking these are all it's kind of these are all action words but they're not things and it seems to be you know the more you look for a solid thing to label you know as far as yourself say the more you don't find it but you find all these other activities you know <laughs> you know that's what it's you know it's you know laughing I don't know Sadnessing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So my, my, my new thing, I think my new thing is going to be happiness. And there's, I made up a word and then I looked it up and it was actually a word. It's happing. H-A-P-P-I-N-G. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't quite mean, it doesn't quite mean what I want it to. There's a little bit of a negative yeah. touch Happy to it. <laughs> You know, yeah. Gail, I think you're right when you talk about, um, you know, seeing beyond the labels, because I think, at least for me, that that seems to be my practice edge is not looking at people as um, color, uh, ethnicity, gender, old, young, but just looking at them as a sentient being. This is another sentient being. And when you take away all of the stuff that's on the outside, I think like when you bow to someone, I think that's for me anyway, that, that's kind of what happens is you're just bowing to that sentient being. Yeah, that's an ING being. Isn't right. It's <laughs> just being. Yeah. Um, this, this, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to ask Kim if, um, I don't know if the rest of you are able to see everybody all at once, but I can't see like a gallery picture view of anybody, but. Why not? Because, because I think you're, you're, you're sharing. sharing. Oh, because I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, tell me to stop. <laughs> stop! Stop! <laughs> stop! <laughs> there you go. What were you saying, Nelda? I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. This koan makes me want to engage in 
a long-term, like even a year-long, maybe longer study of listing all of my descriptors that I give to myself first, and then sitting with each, each one of them in meditation and contemplation, and then seeing what new descriptor I replace <laughs> that descriptor with, and, and seeing where that change comes from, and just doing that over and over and over and over until my my thought although i don't even know if this would be the end result would be that all descriptors disappear i just think it'd be a lovely process oh there's a descriptor lovely (laughs) i think it would be a i just think I think it'd be worth the um, the time and energy and conscious effort to figure that out. Anyway, that's all I was th- I was thinking. Yeah, it makes it makes me think of um, well, Byron Katie. She says, um, "Who would you be without your story?" That's uh-huh. another kind of way. Or maybe uh, Ramana might say. Who are you in deep sleep? (sighs) One of the things we do in drawing an object is forgetting about what the object is and just seeing what we're looking at. You know, whether it's a paper bag or a vase or whatever, but it's that if you are holding on to what you think it is, then you start really goofing up. And one project we did was was um, a square on a piece of paper that's laid down on the floor. So you know it's a square and you're looking down on the floor, but it's not a square as you're seeing it. It's a parallelogram. See what I mean? If, yeah. if you draw a pair on a piece of paper and put it down. And so you have to if you, as long as you're thinking of it as a square, you're not going to draw it well. You're not going to draw what you see. But if you, if you just start measuring, you know, with your thumb, you can measure and measure the height versus the width, and measure the angles and so forth. You can then draw it. It's a great exercise just to square on a piece of paper and looking at it and realizing. What you're looking at is not a square. It's our mind that makes it into a square. It's a different kind of looking, isn't it, Kim? Yeah, it's really seeing. Not a surface thing. Or like if you're looking at a vase, the lid of the, the top of a vase it's an oval, but also the front part of it is different than the back part of it. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a pretty complex thing, even though it, looking straight down on it, it's a circle. So, so Allison, how was this for you? Is this the craziest thing you ever went to? <laughs> No, it's not the craziest thing I've, I've ever went to. This was, um, I'm, I'm glad I got to uh, 
Thanks for letting me just hang out and mostly listen. Uh, this is a, definitely uh, the first time I've tried this, but I've always been intrigued by koans and koan practice. So I was happy to come and so start act, Yeah. Um, usually we have a different process where we read the koan and we sit for five minutes and then we read the koan and the verse and we sit for five minutes and then we write for five minutes and then we t discuss what we read and but because we spent more time with the other koan, we didn't do that. That's fine. And we got two in one night, which yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> I think for our recording, I'm just going to do um, the, 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 the goo one. Does that sound, make sense? You do you, you do whatever you want to well, do. Well, we have like 50 people who listen to these things. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so so they're probably expecting goo goo in sequence. Well, my input would be that going over the previous koan was really very enlightening and having the different words in the discussion really opened it up that much more. And by the way, thank you, Trouty, for sitting with this and bringing it back to us. But thank you. Thank maybe so, someone will benefit from that, but that's just my opinion. And Donna's agreeing. Okay, I'll change my mind. <laughs> I paid her to do that, Kim. <laughs> it's kind of neat because um, these koans, uh, gongons, koans, um, you could go back to them over and over and over <laughs> and um you know you know this this whole um you know the red is it the red sect that uses koans basically as um, um a way to kind of induce um some sort of revelation or opening or awakening and you can kind of see how because it re they really do tie you into a knot where you're kind of not able to go very far without getting frustrated or, you know, um, your mind keeps trying to do it. Your mind keeps trying to do it. Or and caught, caught with the fish hook, the fish yeah. with the hook. Yeah. And Allison, they don't read, in Rinzai, they don't read the commentaries. They're just dealing oh. with the koan itself. Yeah. It's not a matter of studying what other people have said. So you're really confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we got it easy. We're kind of got the cheat sheet. From, uh, <laughs> 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 what, is, what is the book uh, y'all are using? Is it Passing Through the Gateless Gate? Yes. Okay. Gateless barrier. Barrier, yeah. Oh, gateless barrier. Okay. Thank you. Can you see it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What I what I like about our group here is even though we have the cheat sheet, usually um, before we get to the cheat sheet part, we read the koan and we read Wu Men's comment, which actually is more confusing than the koan, and then we all get to try. <laughs> to, you know, see what our mind is trying to do with it, you know, and where it's landing us. And um, so I really like that. And then when you go on to Guagu, Gu Go, you see how um, he brings another perspective, especially the historical perspective. 
which I really appreciate because I, I really don't know these characters or why they'd be behaving the way they are. But he, he usually enlightens us to all of that. So Gail, I'm curious, what, what is our cheat sheet? Well, I think it's Bo Goo, you know, because, uh -huh. he, you know, because I don't know, he, sometimes he confuses me even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, it is. So I have a koan that I'm trying to work out. And that is that I think I told Trouty, um, I'm going to give a, a talk in St. Louis to my first sitting group in August. And I was going to do kind of a similar thing of picking a koan and then doing drawings of it for two months. And I told Peg, and Peg said, you should not do a teaching on a koan. And she didn't explain why. And um, so I have a practice discussion with her on Wednesday. So maybe I was going to ask her why. But in the meantime, I kind of figured out that I wanted to do a whole thing on happiness. Yep. Because I, I think we were missing out on happiness in this, especially yeah. in this time with all these pandemics going on. Oh, Kim, I have a wonderful quote that I heard about um, this the other day on a YouTube video of somebody on um, America's Got Talent, some little, some little video thing. And this woman who had terminal cancer, I don't know if I told you guys this. Anyway, yeah. she had terminal cancer. She was performing as a vocalist. It was gorgeous. Just, it was her own song. And she didn't even know if she'd make it to the end of the, you know, the whole process of the program, you know, but she was there. And she was smiling and one of the uh, judges asked her, well, oh my God, you know, you've got this terrible, you know, uh, disease and you don't know if you're going to live very long, but look at you smiling. And uh, she said, well, I had to learn that I can't wait for life to stop being hard before I'm happy. <laughs> so, I mean, that just blew me away when she said that. I said, what is she, a Buddha? <laughs> I, I had to learn that life is hard no I, I had to learn to stop wanting life to stop to stop wanting life no to stop waiting waiting for life not oh, to be right. hard that's it stop waiting for life not, not to be hard, hard before, before I, be I started living yeah you say it again Stephanie you heard me <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop waiting for life not to be hard before I started living. Or, or, or before I could be happy. Before I, before I, yeah. In other words, don't delay. She wasn't delaying her happiness, waiting right. for um, no challenges. You know, and don't we all do that? We all say, oh God, I'd be so happy if I didn't have blah, blah going on. You know, mm -hmm. or if I wasn't dealing with no, this problem. That, that's why I love what Google Go always says. It's all good. Yeah. It is all good. Yeah, so I'm stuck good. on I'm stuck on the definition of happy versus contentment versus joy versus peace. Because happy to me is oh I don't know. I anyway, ha happy is situational. <laughs> there we go. Maybe. I mean, maybe for most, maybe for some and not for others too, right? Uh, well, a lot of times it's just semantics. Yeah. 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 I-A-G, as he says. <laughs> right. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Are we ready to um, 
call it a night. 